Welcome back to The Peripheral. I keep saying sorry every time I put out an episode, but I'm really putting these out as fast as humanly possible. So sorry, not sorry. You're getting the content as fast as possible. A couple of announcements. I released a lost episode on my Patreon. So all my Patreon subscribers, thank you. Can't tell you how much I love you. I hope you enjoyed that, that story from Millie. Also, I recently did an interview on the Curiosity Hour podcast. Thank you, Dan and Tommy, for allowing me to come on your show. It was a fun interview. I did it from my car in the middle of a parking lot. A security guard or off-duty cop ended up knocking on my window towards the end of the interview. It was pretty exciting. This month, I interviewed more people than I've ever interviewed in my life. I wish I had someone to reply to all my messages and emails. I'm sorry. I'm terrible at it sometimes. I just don't have enough time in the day. So this is my Halloween episode. I'm going for something different this year. Most of the scary stories are not paranormal. They are frightening because people thought they were going to die. That's all the more detail I'm going to give for now. We're just going to jump right in. This first story is from Mark. I've titled it, Arrow to the Knee. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Hey, how are you? (laughs) Pretty good. So go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll just jump right into this, okay? All right. Um, My name is Mark. I wanted to tell my story about when I slipped and down a hill, and I I, uh, injured my knee. A couple friends of mine, we um, we went hiking at a state park, and we ended up going off of the trail down like a 30 maybe 40 foot hill and I ended up slipping I think it it might have been on a rock and I and I ended up falling down the whole way down and hey, how steep was this hill <laughs> it it was pretty bad it was very steep actually and you know what was the worst part is I was actually in sandals oh, which was the worst part we, um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to hit my head on anything or I was going to hit the rocks at the bottom. I, I honestly just closed my eyes and just p- prayed and I just hoped for the best. And, um, when I landed at the bottom and I got myself together, I sat up and I, I realized that there was a, a stick and it was only a couple inches long, but it, it went through my knee from the right to the left. I could actually see it. You know, if it, if it went any farther, it would have penetrated through the other side. Did you feel any pain? Did you feel anything penetrating you? No. That that's that's the thing is that I felt like, you know, you could feel like, you know, when you're when you're rolling and your shoulders or your arm hits the ground, you can, you know, it hurts a little bit, but I didn't feel anything stab my knee until you know, I looked down and I saw it. Mm. So everybody was kind of like freaking out and they wanted to, you know, call 911 and get me out of there. But I knew that either, you know, the local department was going to have to, you know, do a rope rescue to get me out of there. Or they're going to have to, even worse, they're going to have to call a helicopter and airlift me out of there, which I did not want that to happen. Why did you not want that to happen? Because I knew in my head that I could just get out of the situation myself, and I didn't want to. Honestly, I didn't want to waste their time because, you know what, they could have had something far more important to do than just get me out of this little situation. Uh 
So uh, we ended up just climbing back up the hill. And um, when we got up top, I, and now I think about it, I, I'm laughing about it, but there was two people, I think it was a husband and a wife, and they were just sitting on a bench. And they saw this whole thing happen, and they never helped us. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I know, but, you know, it's whatever. So we're we're leaving the park, and we get to my car, and I'm in a full panic mode at this point. And what I ended up doing was just driving my friends home, and then I drove myself home. Okay, so and, what, you, you had driven everybody to this park. Yeah. And you drove. Yeah. Like, it, they didn't drive, like... <laughs> No, we all rode in my car, and I think I got the car close to 100 up on the highway just trying to get home. Which knee was this? Was it the one my, that... Huh. My left. Okay, so you're not driving with this leg. Okay. No, 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 no. Thank God. <laughs> okay. So, that, I mean, that was my other question is why weren't your friends driving? Because if you're, you know, yeah. Anyways, okay, so you're driving 100 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, I finally get home, and... I walk inside, and later my dad told me that he said he knew something was wrong just by the look on my face. Mm -hmm. And I explained to them what happened and the whole situation. And he brought me into the bathroom, and he tried to pull the stick out with with tweezers. And, you know, I was watching him do this, and I could – it was moving a little bit out, but he couldn't get it out. He said, well, look, you know, we got to go to the hospital. And – he drove me, and we uh, we get to the ER, and you know I'm waiting in the room, and they finally call me in, and we get into the the actual um, room, and the nurses are you know they're doing their vitals, they're doing all this stuff, and the doctor finally comes in, and she told me that she was most amazed that what happened to me that my contacts never fell out. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. And uh, so they end up numbing my knee and they get the they get the stick out. And it's funny that she asked me if I wanted to keep it. I was like, no, I'm I'm good. I don't need it. And uh, so they had to clean the wound out. What they did was they they pumped this fluid into the wound and I and I could feel I could feel it move down my leg all the way to my toes, and I'm and I'm telling you, it was the worst pain that I felt. After that, uh, a nurse who was actually a student, he had to come in, and he was just like uh, pouring. Uh, I I think I don't know if it was water or it was some solution, but he was just shooting it from a syringe just into my knee just to clean it out. And uh, they they stitched it up and sent me home that that same day. They told me in about two weeks go to my primary doctor and have them take the stitches out. Well, after a week, my dad checked the bandage and checked the stitches, and my wound was green. Oh no! And he he said, "Well, I don't understand why this is happening, but obviously we have to go back to the." emergency room. I said, all right, well, I guess we got to go. And so we end up getting there. We're back in the room and they put me in a room with three other beds. I was waiting there and I don't know why, but all of a sudden I think I had my first panic attack. 
I remember specifically asking the nurse, like, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening? And she told me that I'm very sick right now and the infection is getting worse. And so I don't know why they did this, but they ended up moving me. I was on the left side of the room and they moved me all the way to the right side of the room. That's when they opened up the stitches again. They took the stitches out. They had to take the fluid that they originally pumped in. They had to suck it back out to test it, to see what it, what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that first pain, first time when they pumped that in was the worst pain. This was by far the worst I've ever felt in my life. And the doctor told me, he said, well, this is going to be a little discomforting. Okay, so I'm not expecting much pain. And when he started sucking it out, I instantly started screaming. I started crying. I, I actually gagged, and my, and my father was in the room, and he said, he, he's about to throw up. You got to get him a bag or something. I, I didn't. I didn't vomit or anything. But at that same time when I'm you know going crazy, my mother and my two brothers walk in, and one of the doctors brought them outside in the hallway so they didn't have to see that, and they explained what was going on and what happened. And so the, so the doctor... He ended up not getting any of the fluid out because I, because I just I tightened my leg so hard because it was so painful. And he said, well, we have to do this again because we got to get it out. I said, honestly, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you can't. I can't do this. It's, it's so painful that I'm not, I'm not going to let you do it again. And he said, well, okay, well, well, we'll get you something for the pain. And, you know, they put something in me and, then, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, I don't know, they, they tried it again and... Um, actually, I, this time it actually was just discomfort when he started sucking it out. Like it was just, it, it was just, uh, it was almost just annoying. Like it was just a little tightness for the rest of the night. They just kept checking on me and making sure I was okay. And they ended up having me stay in the hospital for a week. Um, they wanted to make sure the infection wouldn't come back. I was 19 at the time mm-hmm. and the cutoff is 20 years old for the, um, for an adult room and they put me in the pediatrics and it's a newly built, um, pediatric center at the hospital. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this wing with all these kids who are, you know, I don't know if they're terminally ill, but they are very sick and they're just children. And it's funny. Cause like in the middle of the nights when they can't sleep, the nurses, I saw the nurses, uh, racing them down the hallway in the little computer wheelie chairs um <laughs> just to just to play with them and yeah, yeah just to, you know keep them happy mm-hmm. um i just hung out in there my dad stayed with me every day and you know i thank him for it and every morning they what they did was they they didn't stitch me back up but they they packed gauze into my wound yeah and every morning they'd have to take it out and redo it and that was that was so bad that it, it it brought me to tears every day. And when they finally released me the next week, he told my dad that he had to keep doing it for almost almost a week, like, you know, like five days. That he had to keep repacking the wound. And I and I told the doctor, I said, listen, I need I need something for the pain because that, that's horrible. And he gave me uh, oxycodone. Wow. And he said, he said, listen, don't he said, only take one. And wait a half hour and then do it. 
He said they're highly addictive and they're very powerful. He said, seriously, don't take more than one. So the first day, I, I did what he said. I only took one, and it, it, it didn't it didn't even have any effect on me. It was still extremely painful. Mm-hmm. The next day, I took three of them, and that helped a little bit. It was, it was pretty bad still. And then the day after that, I took four, and I kept taking four until till we didn't have to repack it anymore. He, my dad said, like, it was, it was about the fourth or fifth day. He said, well, the wound is almost shut, and I don't have to keep repacking this. Yeah. And I said, all right, thank God. And my mother actually took the took the oxys and she flushed them down the toilet. She said, <laughs> she said I don't even want these in my house anymore. Said, well, whatever, I don't want them. Yeah, yeah. And it healed fine. And I went to I went back to work about I was out of work for maybe a month. Wow. And uh, everything's fine now. I I got this bad I got a bad scar on my knee and I still have knee pain to this day. It's it's been like three years and I still have knee pain. Um, I can't. I can't kneel down on my left knee or it's just so bad. And I'm eventually going to go see a doctor. I haven't, haven't really put any thought into it right now, but I just want to see what, have their opinion about what they say. So that's your scariest moment. And you're still living with some of the repercussions to this day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really it. It's, I mean, you know, some people it's not a big deal, I guess, but it, it was, it was pretty terrifying at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> this sounds terrifying. Like you, you've probably told the story so much that you're numb to it. But yeah, true. But to me, it sounds terrifying. Rolling down a hill, and then when you finally come to a you know a stop, you have pretty much an arrow to the knee. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, it, it's definitely one of those moments that you know you say now you look back on it, you laugh about it. It's definitely one of those moments. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad you've healed up well. This next story comes from Cheryl. I've named it A Snake in Your Bra. My name is Cheryl, and um, I have a podcast, uh, Lost Time with True Crime. Um, But we're, it's just kind of floating in space right now. But I plan on uh, getting it out there sometime. Cool. So but, it's, uh, it's, it's lost in time at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's lost time with your crime. Actually, yeah, we'll just keep it the way it is. <laughs> yeah. So you had an event happen to you back when you lived in Florida. You want to tell us about this? Sure, yeah. It was uh, 1996. I had just graduated high school, and I had a 1994 red Mustang, which was like, you know, it was so cool. Um, only a few of them, few people had the same Mustang I had. And uh, it was small town stuff, you know, everybody knew everybody's car driving around. And, mm-hmm. and basically, Justin, I know you'll be able to, to identify with this, you know, growing up in a small town in like the 80s or 90s, you look back as an adult, and you see th- certain things that are unacceptable. <laughs> like, you're driving down the road, and there's two huge canals on the side for miles and miles and there's no guard railing you know like 80s and 90s thing like we used to play with gasoline and stuff like that you know yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> eat paint chips little things oh totally like things now that sound crazy but we're normal back then and so i worked at target actually in vero beach florida and it was at the end of a long avenue called 58th avenue in vero beach and everybody knew about 58th avenue there was huge canals on either side but again it was very normal And we just knew, like, don't go into the canal. There's gators in there. There's snakes. Just, you know, kind of growing up in the south. So one night, 
I had got off at Target at like 1030 and I was a really horrible partier and like kind of like uh, the clown of the party. You know, I like to party and do all this kind of stuff. But this night I was completely sober and I was driving my awesome 1994 Mustang down 58th Avenue and I was listening to the Lost Highway soundtrack and I put that CD, I was fiddling around with my CD player and uh, all of a sudden I had hit, they call it black ice. I felt myself lose control of the car. And you know how they all say it's, it does actually happen in slow motion or it did for me. After I found out I was, you know, losing control of the car, time stopped. And I had thought about all of, I had just graduated high school. I was starting a couple new bands. I was really starting to get into music, like all these preparations and all these little things in life were happening and all of it just, and I just thought like, really? Like all that was for nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the next second I just thought, this is it. It's like that acceptance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was funny. I hadn't really thought about this too much and, until you know we had talked about it. I used to think maybe it was a spiritual thing, but I don't know. Now I'm thinking like, I feel like our brain just can't wrap, wrap its head around our own demise and maybe people feel that calm because it's just absolute the most denial we'll ever feel in our entire lives or Mm -hmm. something like that but yeah so that moment lasted and it was just like a first of disbelief of going through all these plans that I just worked so hard of and then acceptance I wasn't wearing my seatbelt you know it was it was just kind of the culture of how it was so I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and I hit my head on the windshield, and then I woke up in the passenger side floorboard. Oh, and I knew I was in the canal. And just like the franticness of, there's no thoughts going through your head except get the F out of this canal. Get out of this canal, because you know what's in here. You didn't, you didn't feel the impact, and you're, you don't feel water yet? You just are in your car and you know you're in the water? Well, what had happened was there wasn't as much water in the canal that day as there had been. And I didn't even realize that until a few of my friend's parents told me afterwards. Because, you know, it was a small town and everybody drove by and, you know, like, damn. And so there wasn't, it wasn't filled to the rim like it had been. But I didn't know that at the time. But I don't remember the impact. I don't remember that but I remember waking up the front end I had a bra on my car you know yeah. <laughs> stupid things it was the 90s <laughs> they're so amazing actually <laughs> I'm not gonna turn my back on them but I had a bra on my car I was in there and I just thought I need to get out of the canal so the front end was in the canal water basically and it was kind of on an incline so I get out of the car and I start climbing out of the canal and this isn't like you know a little canal this is a real-time Florida citrus grove irrigation crap canal so you're getting water and mud and crap all over you (laughs) oh yeah and uh, I'm wearing my little target t-shirt and my name tag and all that but the franticness of and I remember when I was climbing up the canal I was thinking oh my god I'm freaking climbing out of a canal right now so how did you get out of your car were you able to open your yeah I was able to open the passenger side door okay. and so, it was just like a flash. The moment I woke up or came to, 
boom, there was no hesitation. Mm -hmm. Just opening the car door and then climbing out. And I'm talking about like, I mean, it's a deep canal. Like I'd say probably, you know, 15, 20 foot canal. These are huge. Mm -hmm. So I'm climbing up the very steep side and I'm just standing there going, okay, now I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's completely dark and the adrenaline's pumping, right? And I see this car coming down the road and I like kind of stand in the middle of the road and wave my hands. And it's these two total stoner guys. <laughs> They're just out like smoking pot, you know, enjoying life. They pick me up and I said, please take me back to Target. And I don't remember who I called or what happened after that. Isn't that amazing how many phone numbers you remembered back then because you didn't have a cell phone? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I still remember <laughs> that phone number. But, um, but yeah, these stoner dudes, I bet you they'd still remember it to this time because I look like Eileen Warnos coming out of that, <laughs> that, that canal. Like, I'm mud all over me like, and I'm insane looking. Skip to everything. Basically, I got the uh, car. I got my car back in a couple days. I'm really happy I have my car. And I look in the back seat, and there's a grasshopper. I am not even lying, Justin. I'm not exaggerating to you, okay? The grasshopper was about five and a half to six inches long. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no snakes or alligators in there. <laughs> and I took off the bra of my car, and a huge snake came out of the bra of the car. Jeez. Cute. And that's after it had been sitting in the lot and like it had already been, you know, out for a while. Uh-huh. But yeah, that was it, man. And I've never forgotten it. Thank you, Cheryl. This next story is from an awesome listener, Jeff, who attempted to come to our Michigan meetup, but had a car accident on the way there. But he had a creepy moment happen to him one day on the highway. I call this one things that stay with you. Do you want to introduce yourself and where you're from, Jeff? Sure. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm from Westland, Michigan. One day back in 2001, I believe it was, me and my cousin and his friend went to, I believe it was O'Hare, Illinois, and we went to a Megadeth sign. Nice. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I got to meet Dave Mustaine and he told me to stop picking my nose because I was acting like a little girl in front of him with my hand up to my face and everything. So would you expect anything else from that guy? <laughs> no, not at all. It was actually my cousin couldn't even stop laughing. It was it was hilarious anyway. So after the signing, I got my guitar signed. We're rolling back. We're nearing home. We're nearing Detroit. We're about to get off to my exit. I look, you know, I look over to the left and I notice this white sort of like commercial van. Um, I couldn't tell if it was a hospital van or what, what. It just looked like a commercial van with tinted windows. It was extended. So it sort of passes us. And then we look, well, at least I look, I noticed first that there's a hand poking out the back slat window. You know, it was painted, mm-hmm. painted fingernails. So I thought, um, okay, well, they're making highly motioned gestures and I'm figuring they're flirting with us. In fact, we all did. Um, but you couldn't really see in the van too well. You could just see this hand coming out. Oh, just this hand doing just sort of like motions. I didn't realize till a little bit later that they were exaggerated for a reason. And then just, I don't know, maybe a few seconds later, you saw another set of hands come out. And they were coming out the other slatted um, window. And so we're about to get off to um, my exit, the Ford Road exit in Westland. 
I'm starting to notice something. As we get onto the ramp, I'm like, they're pointing to the freaking. They were all like, I mean, they were just pointing to the license plate and making motions like they were in help. And so for like 30, 40 seconds that this shit went on, we thought these girls were flirting with us. And I swear to God, they were motioning for help. My cousin didn't believe me. They were going under the, like, they were going far too past for me to get any kind of license plate number after that. Because we were already on the, on the off ramp. So they were on the up on the highway and you're getting off and absolutely. So absolutely. When you have this realization, I said, dude, these girls aren't flirting with us like that. Come on. I mean, they weren't doing anything in particular, but making wide, big gestures with their fingers and sort of flicking their fingers down towards the license plate. But for some reason, we were also thinking that they were flirting with us. It just escaped us, man. It it blew my mind, but it, it wouldn't be until like a year or two later that I got my cousin to finally admit that that's what he saw too after we had got off the ramp. And because he didn't want to believe it, but it did happen. And I believe those girls were being kidnapped. And unfortunately, we just, you know, I kept on looking in the news for days and days thinking, what the hell? But nothing. But I knew, I knew what was up, man. Those girls were in distress. I mean, it's just such a random thing that we're guys that we don't put things together too fast sometimes oh, <laughs> such an idiot just, but uh, you know i i hope that maybe i don't know do you think that maybe they were playing a game were they making a joke i mean you can't tell Look, all I, you see is a hand <laughs> you know? i su- i suppose that's possible man but um when i look back when i just when i think back to it they were just all pointing towards the same thing and for some reason, I just, especially towards, by the time we were getting off to the exit, that's when they were pointing, and they were pointing down to the license plate. I mean, they just were. So it was, if it was a game, they were pretty, they're pretty macabre and pretty crazy, mm-hmm. you know, but I just don't think that. I just don't see what, and it's this big, white, extended, you know, van. I just don't know, man. I just don't think so. I think it was a real, I think something was really up, but then I was thinking, well, if these girls, you'd think that they'd be bound or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who can say? But it was bad. It was bad. It left me always left me with bad feelings. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it's haunted me for years. I think about it every now and then, and still punch myself in the leg. And I dealt with a little bit of shame and guilt about it. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. it just um, it's something that I know happened, and I just. I'm just can't believe I was so blind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's not even a bystander effect. It's you might've done something. If you had realized it sooner, you might've been able to respond or react, but you're on the highway, you're driving, you know, I don't know if you or your friend was driving, but you're sure thing, you you know, it's, it's a quick situation. And if nothing else now, you're, I'm sure you're a lot more alert and a lot more, uh, you're paying a lot oh, more yeah. attention, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad that I think like a year or so ago, I started kicking around the idea of writing an alternate history of this story and turning it into a book. Wow. Like, because just to work it out in my head, how I would have said, you know I mean? We would have saved the day and shit instead of being those suckers in the car that day that just thought girls were flirting with us. Yeah. Terrible. What to say? Hopefully those girls are okay and got out of it. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you've held on to this. You know, I have told others about it, but you know, I never went into detail. I certainly haven't brought it up in years. It's just when you made that post, I thought, oh God, that's the story, man. It's not much to it, but um, again, it's it's had an impact for certain. I've never forgotten it or a single detail about it. Thank you, Jeff. This next story is from Amanda who has an atypical story of 
boy meets girl, girl likes boy, and things change. So my name is Amanda, and I'm 26 years old. Uh, I work in the publishing industry. I don't exactly live like in a big city, so um, in more towards Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So it's not very often that uh, when I, I meet people like outside of my high school at home, you know, I'm just like, oh, you're my, I, I know everyone in my town. I know everyone I went to high school with. This happened my sophomore year in college. Um, I had broken up, well, my boyfriend at the time had broken up with me and I was just in like a really, really bad place. I had gotten an online message from some guy. He played it off that he had another friend named Amanda and was the message was meant for her. Then we ended up talking. He lived in like, I'd say like 30 minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just kind of like started talking after that because like when you're in a really bad place, you you kind of just kind of want attention. So and, and it's sort of a rebound and kind of, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. yeah and it, it wasn't meant to be, you know, malicious. At, you know, at that time, I, I really didn't have, you know, because all of my ex's friends were my friends. So I was trying to make friends. So I was, you know, just trying to be nice. and But no intention there, really. Yeah. No. And then, then we ended up started, you know, messaging online. And I really did like, you know, like this kid. He seemed really sweet online. He, uh, you know, liked the same bands that I was into. Uh, He was a guitarist in a band. So we would talk, you know, he would talk and like, you know, say, I'm going to play you music and all this stuff. So he seemed really cool. Kind of romantic. (laughs) Yeah. So it's after like going through all that, you're kind of like, oh, okay. Like, like, this is nice. Someone's giving me attention. Someone's going to play like my favorite song for me. Um, so then we, I went to his house to hang out with him for the first time. And like, this is before, like, I listened to like any kind of podcast. Cause like now that I look back on it, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. Like on a first date, I shouldn't have went to this kid's house that I didn't know, but we just ended up like talking and hanging out just to put it in like perspective. Like we just had like a kiss, nothing more. And that was the first time that we met each other in person. And then um, I would say we hung out like, I think it was like six months later, and he came over to my house, maybe end of my sophomore year. We would talk on and off. And every time that we wanted, like that I wanted to hang out with him, like after this, he would like just ditch me. Hey, I'm you know, I'm back from college. Do you want to come, you know, hang out or can we go to the movies? And he'd be like, yeah, sure. So like I would go to the movies and wait for him. He'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Something else came up or like just wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, listen, like I understand, like if other things come up, that's fine. But like I thought that we were talking and wanted to hang out. So this like went on, I would say through my senior year. So it was like three years of me just like trying to hang out with him, him ditching me. And like, we had only met twice. Which at that point you're thinking this, this guy's not interested. I'm going to take the hint, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could always tell that like, if I was like, Hey, let's hang out. And he's like, Oh no, I can't. I'm sorry. And I'd see him post pictures with another girl. And I'm like, well, that explains that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you're definitely just not interested in me. This one night during my senior year, I felt, um, 
really, really threatened by him. We got into a huge yelling match because I told him finally that like I didn't want to talk to him anymore. He just kept ditching me and that he, you know, that I was like second best. And like if one of the other girls didn't work out that I was his backup, I just was letting him have everything. And he just started calling me a whore and a slut. He told me that I couldn't sleep with other men and we never slept together. I don't know what he thought, you know, these three years were, but I, you know, if we weren't together, I was going on dates with other guys. I was like, you can't tell me to do that. Like you have no authority over me. And um, so, like I said, he had only been to my house once my sophomore year. So that was three years ago. He threatened me to say, like he was saying that he like knows where I live and he's not afraid to come to my house. Since I lived off campus, I was really nervous. That was the first time that I was like, okay, something's really wrong. So I told, you know, after everything, I called my mom and she kind of just brushed off what happened, kind of due to the fact that, like, I had had a lot of guys that I had gone out with and she was just like, it's just someone who's just upset at you. You know, don't read into it too much. And then I blocked him on social media. I blocked him on all of his phone numbers. Um, and then when I, I graduated and moved back home, like he would have his friends contact me. He would try to apologize. He, like when I would answer like the first couple of times since I, I didn't really know, um, he would say like, I just drove past your house. Where I live is um, we're definitely off the beaten path. Like if someone just stumbled, like if they were like, I'm lost, we'd be like, how did you get here? Like, there's no, like I live on a mountain. So like for someone to drive past my house, I know the cars in our neighborhood. Um, for someone to drive past our houses, you kind of tell who's like out of place. So like, I kind of saw a couple cars that were like driving around. Um, we had a car once sit at like the top of our driveway um, late at night. And I was like, oh my God, like this is like that it's got to be him. Like, and I told my sister and she's like, no, it's, you know, don't worry about it. They left. I'm freaked out by all of this just because every time that I like tell someone, it kind of just got brushed off as like a, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, he's not really driving past your house when like all of these incidents would happen. I'm like, it's definitely got to be him. Um, he worked by our house. So I, I mean, I think that he would drive past it. Mm -hmm. Then like once I finally caught on to him, I, you know, stopped all communication. I don't, I don't answer my phone when like someone that I don't know does like calls or texts me. I'm sorry if I get like, like shaky or like start to like cry, but, um, it's this un day, it's uh, understandable. It really is. I've been out of college for, I think four years now. Um, this happened maybe a year or two after I graduated, he contacted my sister. So on Facebook, I don't have my last name. I never, I don't think I ever have. He would have had to memorize who my family is after I blocked him because he wasn't friends with any of them. So he went out of his way to try to find someone in my family that he could talk to. I don't mind if I'm harassed because like I can take it but like when he brought my sister into it it's like and like I have a little brother mm -hmm. what if he messages my little brother 
um, he doesn't really know what to do in the situation. Like he would just, you know, he's just a kid. He doesn't really, my sister's a little bit older, but still even she was like, who is this guy? Like, why did he text me? And at that time I worked in the city and I either had to leave like on a six o'clock bus um, or else I wasn't getting home till like midnight. And that night I stayed till like nine o'clock. And I remember I was um, in the office crying. I like ran to the bathroom. I didn't feel safe. Like I didn't feel safe going home because he knew my family. Mm-hmm. He knew where I lived. Um, my sister ended up telling him that I had a boyfriend and, you know, that I didn't want to talk to him. And I didn't want to hear his apologies, but like, he even to that day, he still is like, I just want to apologize to her. I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like, I really think that we would be great together. <laughs> and it's like, you've been holding on to this for since we met since sophomore year. And it, that's a long time to have feelings for someone and you didn't reciprocate them till I said no. And then once I said no, you started harassing me coming pa- past my house. And now you're texting my sister. I haven't personally heard from him, but like that night when he messaged my sister sticks out in my head so much. I'm my hands are like so clammy. I'm like shaking. I didn't want to go home. Like I didn't know where to go, but I just didn't want to go home. It's just so ridiculous to me that somebody wants to apologize. Somebody wants to reach out to you when they've already caused you such distress. If somebody tells me to go away, I just go away and I don't try to keep reaching out over and over and over again. Yeah, I I don't mind if someone, you know, is persistent and is like, hey, I really want to, you know, I think that this could work. But it's just like, if I've already told you no, you know, I've blocked you on all social media, that doesn't mean like reach out to my family to, to see if they can persuade me. My sister's not going to persuade me to talk to someone who I'm scared of. And it's not just like I'm scared of him, like finding my family. Like he was very aggressive that like one night that we got into a really bad argument. Mm-hmm. I was really scared for my life. I was scared for my family because I'm like, what if he goes and does something like you hear of all those stories now of people who just say no and then people just snap on them. And I'm like, that could have been my family. That could have been me. And you know, thankfully he's stopped, but like, I don't know if he stopped messaging my sister because she doesn't tell me. She, I was like, can we go to the police? And she was like, well, you know, that was the, that was my biggest mistake is like, I didn't keep any of the text messages or anything from when he threatened me. And she was like, you should have kept that. And we could have went to the police and you could say that you don't feel safe. She's like, but you just have, you know, your word. That was like my biggest mistake right there is like not documenting anything of it. But I really couldn't do anything just to kind of tell him to leave me alone. You have a sense of how much danger you're in. You have a sense of how wrong this guy is. And when he yells at you, when he's threatening you, other people aren't there to see it. So they're they're not going to have the same idea or concept or grasp on the situation. And I think you had a very good grasp on the situation and your reaction was very justified. It's like, yeah, obviously he's a control freak. <laughs> Yo, that is, it is controlling. I honestly feel like he was just waiting for me to be like, you know, sitting in the wings, waiting this whole time for him to be like, oh yeah, you know, I actually really do like that girl. I really want to be with her. I feel like he just thought that I was just going to sit here and wait forever for him. 
from this experience, I've really changed as a person and not in exactly in a good way. Like when I was a sophomore in college, I was really outgoing and I was friends with everyone and I made friends with everyone. Like I was like, I'll add you on Facebook and your phone number. I'll take your Instagram. Like yeah. we'll be friends. And now I'm like the most conservative. I'm like, I don't, if I don't know you, if I haven't met you, if I haven't hung out with you, then you're not my friend. Like I'm going to, you know, take you off of Facebook. If I, you know, if I go to a party, I stick with the people that I know instead of trying to make new friends. Like it just, it's, it, it does change you in a way that you're kind of, you're more sensitive to, you know, how, you know, to letting people in. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing. This next story is from Amber. I had a hard time coming up with a name for this. It reminds me very much of my first episode where the theme was, I don't want to be here. Amber, I hope you don't mind, but I'm calling your story Chivalry is Not Dead. I guess I never tell it because it's not one of the fun Amber Almost Died stories. It's it's a traumatic one. Well, where where does this story start? This story starts in the year 2003. I was 18, probably going on 19. I was very much a party girl. Like that was my lifestyle at the time. This involves two friends. It's two two male friends of mine. And I'm still acquainted with them to this day. They totally have their lives together. So I'm just going to call them driver and passenger because most of this takes place in a car. Okay. Driver, he was like a small time dealer. Like he would have like a sandwich bag with some ecstasy pills in it and he would go to parties and sell them on weekends. Nothing major. He still lived with his parents. So I let him like keep his stash at my apartment because it was my apartment. So he called me up. Um, and so it was probably like a Friday or a Saturday and said, uh, Hey, um, is it cool if I swing by? And this was like a landline too. I, you know, want to pick up my stuff and, uh, there's a party tonight if you want to come. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm 18 years old and that's all I do right now. Let's go party. I was getting ready. And so this is kind of just a little tidbit into uh, foreshadowing. I was getting ready. I, I really minimally got ready. I normally back then because, um, you know what? Everybody might get drunk and nobody can drive tonight. I might be crashing on someone's couch. So I'd pack like a little like overnight bag or something or, and take a little bit of cash with me in case I had to take a cab home. But this particular night I was like, I don't want to take anything with me other than some makeup to touch up my makeup throughout the night. Even not taking a $20 bill with me was uncharacteristic to not have a little bit of cash in case I had to take a cab home because this was back before Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. I got ready and debated on taking my ID because you're supposed to have your ID on you by law all the time. Mm -hmm. And I decided against it because I had just recently lost it before. So I was going to a house party, not a club. I was like, I don't need my ID. So I'm leaving that at home too. So driver gets there, gets his stuff, picks me up. So we're starting to head that way to the party and he's like, oh, we need to stop and get some, I forgot what we had to stop and get. This was like 14, 13, 14 years ago. And, um, we weren't old enough to buy alcohol. So we stop at the grocery store, uh, passenger and I wait in the car while driver 
goes inside to, to get the, whatever he was getting. And right then, uh, we noticed there was like a car full of, uh, guys kind of over to our right. And, um, they were obviously like out partying too. Their music was up loud. They looked a little bit older than us, like probably like mid twenties or so. One of them started approaching the car and came up to the driver's side window and saw that nobody was on the driver's side and it was only somebody in the passenger side. So then he walked around to the passenger side window to passenger. I don't like it when anybody walks up to the car ever to this day. If somebody walks up, it could be like the firefighters doing the charity. I'm just like, don't walk up to my car. It freaks me out. Mm -hmm. So this automatically just put me on defense. Like, why is this guy walking up to our car? And he like kind of motioned to passenger to roll down his window. So passenger rolled down his window and was like, yeah. He was like, hey, um, I just saw you guys were here. You look like you're about to go out. I was wondering if you uh, wanted to buy some. I honestly don't remember what drug they were selling. Um, I think it was probably like blow or something. Mm -hmm. But they were trying to sell us drugs. Passenger said, uh, no, we're good. Actually, we're going to a party later to, to sell some ecstasy. So, you know, we don't need anything. And the guy said, oh, well, would y'all want to do a trade? And that way we can have like some, both have some variations since we're both selling tonight. And, you know, we can do like an even trade. Like I can get a little bit of ecstasy. You can get a little bit of blow. And then we can have some variation in what we're selling. All sounded, you know, reasonable, I guess, but passenger was like, no, we're good. Thanks, though. Have a good night. Rolled up his window. So right as the guy was walking away, driver was coming out and was like, got in the car, like, hey, what did that guy want? So passenger tells driver what what they talked about. And driver said, hey, that's a really great idea. <laughs> and we were like, no, it's really not a really great idea. You don't know the quality of what they have. You don't know. We don't know these people. Mm -hmm. And we already have a plan. We've got a good plan. And for me, I'm just tagging along. Like I'm just getting a ride to a party. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, can we just go to the party? This is getting really complicated. Driver is like, no, this, that, that's really good. Like, like I want to do this. And we're like, okay, it's your business. You know, if, if you trade and you get like baby powder or something, that's going to be on you. So he gets out of the car and he like kind of flags down the guy that had come over. And I look over right then and I look over at the car and I notice there's like four or five guys in that car. Well, they're not all in it. Some are like standing outside of it, like smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a lot of dudes. And then I noticed there was a second car that like clearly with them because they were like talking to each other and they had both been parked there the whole time. And I was like, that's a lot of guys to just be hanging out, trying to sell stuff to people in a, in a grocery store parking lot, which to some people might sound um, like what selling drugs in a grocery store parking lot, but it's that part of town yeah. where <laughs> it's that area <laughs> where you can go to the, to the grocery store and find drugs. My whole thing is when somebody comes up and offers you drugs, you don't yeah. turn around and say, no, thank you. I have my own. You don't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was already mad at passenger. Like, why did you tell them we have anything? Yeah. First of all, I was just in the backseat. Like you guys, like we were 18, like maybe going on 19. 
not seasoned professional criminals whatsoever. These guys, like, I could already tell, like, there was something shady going on here. I mean, they're a big group of guys selling drugs in the grocery store parking lot. So, whereas we were, like, you know, headed to a party to sell some ecstasy. So there's definitely, like, some some different levels of experience here. So I was already getting, like, spidey senses. This isn't cool. Like, these guys are creeping me out. And I was already, like, bitching. Like, I was like, you guys, let's just go to the party. Like, I was just started whining, hoping that that would work. But it did not. So driver went and worked it out with uh, the the cocaine to ecstasy conversion trade, whatever that may be. <laughs> um, like, I don't, I don't know that. But the the guy said you know, it's getting late and it's getting busy here at the grocery store and the police start, uh, you know, patrolling through here. Why don't we go somewhere a little more private so we can actually get our stuff out and, you know, we I can weigh it and I can show you so you can make sure that you're, you know, you're getting what I'm telling you you're getting. To driver, that sounded like, yeah, of course, totally reasonable. To me and passenger, we're like, we're not following these guys anywhere, what are you talking about? Like now we're leaving the lit up busy parking lot to go to a secluded area with these people we don't know to do some sort of drug trade. And you're outnumbered. <laughs> and we're completely outnumbered. None of us have weapons on us. I barely have lipstick in my purse. Like just red flags abound. Driver gets back in the car and he's like, no, we're doing this. In retrospect, I had like I had this moment where I was like, I'm jumping out of the car right now. Like, and you can come back and get me when you're done. I didn't do it. He was like, No, it's gonna be fine. Like, you're being paranoid, and plus this parking lot is not safe for you to stand in by yourself. And I was like, point taken. But knowing what I know now, the parking lot would have would have definitely been safer. I could have just hung out inside the grocery store. Anyways, I would have had to have been calling a ride an hour later, but we'll get to that. So uh, we follow them and they're taking us not that far away, but like I said, not the best part of town. And so they kind of take us down an alley, you know, the kind of alleys where it's like people's backyards, like fenced in, and then they take their garbage out back in there. And it's like a drive through, Mm -hmm. like you can still drive through it, but it's not really a street. It's it's and a it's back just, it's a back alleyway. <laughs> a back alleyway. Yeah. It's just a back alley. It's not like a downtown alley. It's mm-hmm. like a back alleyway in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, before we follow them down that dark, no street lights alley, passengers in the front passenger seat, obviously. I'm in the back seat behind passenger, so I have a clear shot of like looking at driver. And we're like, we can just keep going right now. We can go to the party. We don't have to do this. They're not going to follow us. They're already down there parked. Like, let's just go. And the driver was like, no, no, you guys are being so paranoid, like just completely oblivious, like no life experience. Not that (laughs) I I would say out of all three of us, he had the least amount of like a rough childhood or teenage years. So it makes sense that he thought everything was going to be just peachy while he traded drugs with uh, nearly what I would find out to be nearly 10 guys once they all got out of the cars. Mm-hmm. So we follow them in and then immediately one of their cars is in front of us and one of their cars is behind us. So we're blocked in. 
I'm like, fuck, we're going to get robbed. I'm a very anxious person. I'm always hypervigilant. And I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're getting robbed. So I didn't say that out loud. I kind of felt like everybody in the car should understand that that was what was happening. Driver still didn't understand that that was what was happening. <laughs> so all the guys, all, all the guys with the other group, they get out of their cars and um, they're all standing around and it's nighttime. Okay. So the only light that there is, is from the headlights, mm-hmm. kind of like looking around, there's like not quite 10, but close to it. They're all outside of their cars and we're basically surrounded and trapped inside of our car. And at this point, I'm like, okay, we're getting robbed. Just get through it. Stay calm. Shit happens. We got in this situation, tried to get out of it. I just kind of start staring straight ahead. And they commence trying to continue with the facade that there's a a trade going on. So the main guy comes back around to um, driver's window. And the window's down and he leans in and he's like, hey, is it okay if I see what you have? Driver's like, yeah, of course. Hey, passenger, uh, get it out. Show him what we have. And we're like, are you fucking okay? You know what? Just hand it to him. You know, like we're not saying this out loud, but it's like we're getting robbed. So he gets it out. It was either like under the seat or in the glove compartment or something. And he's like, oh, okay. That's, that's all that you have. That's all of it. That was like, you know, another tip off like, Hey, Like you would still think at this point, like, okay, um, driver, when is it going to kick in for you? Yeah. Still hasn't set in for him. And he's like, yeah, do you have, uh, what do you have? Can, can we see what you have? So driver says, Hey, yeah, let me go ahead and get out of the car and I'll, and we can like count stuff out and trade it. And right then the guy's tone changed from, Hey, yeah, we're doing this trade. Hey, can I see what you have? Hey, let's go to we're partying tonight too. And and selling stuff, his tone just changed like to a different person, like Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. He said, why is your car still running? Turn your car off. You're making me really nervous. Right then, like that gave me a whole new level of fear. Holy crap. Like this is a robbery, but it's also like, I knew what was coming, but I didn't know it wasn't just going to be, give me all your shit. And then they take off, you know? And you, you just don't um, know what form it's going to come in. Yeah, exactly. It's, are you just going to say like, Hey, there's, there's almost 10 of us and three of you and one of you's a chick. So give us everything you have and bye, you know, like what's going to happen. So everything gets very like anticipatory. And, um, if that's even a word, um, <laughs> his tone just changed. And I think that that was the moment I can't be sure, but I think that's the moment driver realized, holy shit, this isn't good. And they were right. So his naivete like completely goes out the window and he's like, why do you want me to stop the car? It's just the engine running, man. It's in park. And he, he pushed again and he was like, so can we see what you have? And we're like, fuck man. Like, this guy's already taking an aggressive tone with you. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Unless you secretly have, I don't know, ninjas coming to save us. <laughs> I don't know why you're being so difficult. The guy leaning in his, like, is leaning all the way in his window at this point, like elbows on the, like the window. And he's like leaning, like his face is in driver's face. He grabs the keys, kind of his hand slips. And he's like, take the keys out of the ignition and give them to me. And I'm like, shit, they're going to steal our car now. 
he takes the keys out and he gives them to him. He's like, calm down. He's like, I'm just really nervous. He hasn't explicitly stated we're robbing you yet. He's just like, I'm just really nervous. You're making me really nervous. Driver's like, hey, there's no reason to be nervous. Like everything's cool. At this point, I kind of start dissociating a little bit because I'm like, this is this is not good. I'm just staring straight ahead, trying to just stay calm. I look over to the other guy standing around because I'm like, this guy's getting aggro in the window. And I'm like, but kind of trying to like gauge the state of all the other guys. Like, are they as aggressive as him? Or is he just kind of, does he just do this and they let him do this? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like group dynamics, I guess. Why I ended up getting a degree in psychology. (laughs) But uh, when I looked, I noticed that a couple of them, not all of them, but a couple of them had guns drawn. They did not have them pointed. They were just holding them. In retrospect now, looking back, I think it was just an intimidation thing. I think it was they had no intentions of shooting us, but try telling me that in the moment, right? Like, I'm looking and I'm like, oh, my God, they have guns. Yeah. I didn't even say anything out loud, though, because this entire time I didn't say a single word. Right then, the guy, he was leaning in the driver's side window. He started just going to town on driver, Mm -hmm. punching his face in, beating him brutally through the window and had his car keys Mm -hmm. and then took his phone. That started so fast. It kind of came out of nowhere because it wasn't. Driver didn't do or say anything to like elicit getting punched. Passenger and I were both kind of in shock, like, holy, holy shit, like railing on the driver through the window who is in the passenger seat, putting his arms up, trying to like block the the hits, but they just keep coming and coming. I mean, it seemed like an eternity. It was probably for like a minute, but it was just so brutal. And I went into kind of like a state of like, okay this just got really violent. Mm -hmm. And now I really have no idea where this is going. There's guns. And this is when I go from anxiety and, okay, we're going to get robbed. They're going to take everything, might steal the car, just get through it to what is going to happen. And I tried not to let the thought of they might hurt me physically into my head because I didn't want to start like freaking out because they have guns. And the last thing you want to do with people who have guns is startle them or freak them out. So I just really started focusing, looking straight ahead because far away, I could see probably half a mile away, like the next road that the, the alley connected with, there were cars going by. And I was just like, oh my God, if just like one car would you know, pull in or something. But this was also a part of town where people, we're barred by people's houses. They're closing their blinds. This is, nobody calls the cops here. Yeah. Like they see this going on, they close their blinds and they mind their own business. Mm-hmm. So there's no help coming. So passenger does his, I mean, what's he supposed to do? Completely outnumbered, It's not like he can jump out and just fight all these guys. So he starts saying, hey, you can have everything, you know, take all the drugs, take all the money, take the car, 
this isn't necessary. We don't have to get violent about this. Like, we're not going to fight you for it. You can take everything. Well, violent guy leaning through the window did not like the sound of that and had another guy come over to passenger side and start beating the crap out of him through the window. And if I remember correctly, it was passenger who got drug out of the car and attacked by like three guys because they were like making an example out of him to drivers saying, if you tell anyone what happened here, you know, and they took their IDs, which if you remember, I didn't take my ID. Mm -hmm. They took their IDs and they were like, we know your names. We know your addresses. We will find you. It was crazy. And it was so terrifying. And so I'm watching just in headlights from the back seat, my friend getting kicked and beat up. I have older brothers. Yeah. I've seen fighting. I have seen, I've seen a lot. I've seen guys get in fights before, but not to this degree of like vi just sheer violence and outnumbered and unfairness, you it's, know? It's not so, even a fight anymore. It's just them getting yeah. beat. Yeah. Exactly. Like, this isn't a fight. This is just violence. There's nothing any of us could do. So at this point, driver's been attacked, passenger's been attacked. And I'm like, okay, so I'm next. But I also haven't said anything at this point. I have not made eye contact with anyone. I have just stayed calm in the back seat. At some point, when they had a guy come over to passenger's window to, you know, and start beating on him. They sent a guy over to my door and said, make sure she doesn't run. I was like, why? Like, what are you going to do to me that I can't run from? Mm -hmm. And so at this, like at that point, I was just like, okay, something really bad's going to happen to me. I just started dissociating and I was like, talking to myself about how physical pain is just your body. And God. if you just live through this, just survive it, just live through it. Cause they hadn't killed my friends in front of me. They just beat the crap out of them. Yeah. So I was like, I might be sexually assaulted. So I just kind of started talking to myself, like outside of myself, kind of just preparing myself in a way also strongly dissociating as one does when some really traumatic shit is happening. One of the guys, it wasn't the lead guy. It was, I, I honestly don't know which, who it was. Um, but I did hear a, uh, what about her? And now they are all looking at me. I'm trying to just stare straight ahead and just stay in the zone of like, don't freak out. Don't get yourself killed or anything worse. Just stay calm and survive. Like that's basically the mode I went into. I just went into survive. The, the thing about the guy who was like by my door, he never physically imposed on me. He never even like interacted with me or looked at me or asked me any questions or anything. He was just standing by my door watching everything else. The lead guy who like had initiated this whole thing said, We'll search her, see if she has anything. And so the guy came down and I still didn't look at him. He grabbed my purse. Well, I handed him my purse, actually. He dumped it out and obviously there was only makeup in there. 
Then he started grabbing my earrings and looking at those and my necklace. And I was, I said, but I hadn't said anything up until this point. I said, you're, you're welcome to have it. It's all cheap from Claire's. None of it is real, but you can have it. I think you could tell how cheap, what cheap jewelry it was. And then he grabbed my hands and started looking at the rings that I have on. A couple of the rings were just really the same thing, kind of like cheap, just like costume jewelry, whatever. And I had kind of forgotten that I had on this ring. And just to, to go a little bit of a backstory, because it, it, it is relevant. This ring had been gifted to me in high school by a guy I dated in high school. He had an older friend or relative, I can't remember specifically, but that was sick and passing away, give him this ring and say to him, I'm giving this to you because I'm not going to be around to protect you anymore. Sophomore year, whenever uh, that boyfriend that I was dating in high school was moving away a whole town over, which back then is the death of a relationship in high school, mm-hmm. he gave me that ring. And I knew the story behind it. And I was like, you cannot give me this. And he said, I'll get it back. He said, but it's going to protect you since I can't be here too. So that was two years before this incident. And I still had that ring and I still wore it a lot. Like it really meant a lot to me. The guy, as he was like looking at my, my hands and my rings, that was the last one he came to. That's the only one that sparked his interest. And he like looked at it. And <laughs> I guess I should tell you what it looked like. It was a giant skull with a dagger going up through the jaw and coming out of the forehead. So imagine just little skinny party girl in her little party dress, very quiet and mousy in the back seat this whole time. And then she's got this crazy ass like sons of anarchy ring on. I surprised myself when he grabbed that finger and looked at it and like pulled it up closer than anything else he had looked at. I like subconsciously turned my head, looked directly in his eyes and that like, like took him aback because I hadn't made eye contact with anybody. So he was like, kind of like taken aback, like, uh, what's happening. And I just said in a very calm, low voice, that's not real silver. You don't want it. And I became insanely protective over this one ring after everything that had happened, (laughs) I was just like, you don't want it. He looked at me with this, like, we had this moment of like, just no words, just unspoken. Like, I I, I don't want to call it understanding, but there was, there was an unspoken exchange and he looked at it again and then dropped my hand Mm -hmm. and then said, she doesn't got nothing y'all. Then the other guys were like looking at me like, well, she does have something else that we can get. I mean, I know that look when guys are looking at me like that. So I uh, was kind of like, all right, here we go. You know, just just gonna have to deal with it. I mean, I've ne- I had never been sexually assaulted in, in my life. And um, so I didn't know what to expect. I was like, well, it seems like it's a pretty high percentage of everyone I know. So it was bound to happen to me at some point. And there's 10 of them. I know. Yeah. So I'm like, just get through this. Just live. Just survive. So the guy standing at my door, like he looks over at them after he said they don't have anything. And he saw them like leaning in and whispering to each other and like looking over at me. 
and he told them a lie. He said, hey, did y'all see that? Someone just came out of their back door right there. Let's get going. Nobody came out of their back door. So they started like getting in their cars like, oh, shit, you know, somebody finally is like getting involved because we had been there at this point for probably like a good 20 minutes or longer. The one main dude said uh, to driver, you're lucky we're letting you keep your car. Took his phone, all the money, all the drugs, which because this one guy that was at my door lied and said someone came out. They're probably calling the police. It's so weird. A bad guy can have a heart, right? (laughs) Right. I'm like, okay, even though, and I I almost want to say like, hey, guy, if you happen to be listening to the peripheral podcast, (laughs) thank you. Because that was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. And even though you were involved with a lot of shitty people and what y'all were doing was really horrible, it could have been worse for me as a woman than what happened to my friends. I hate to use the word chivalry, but (laughs) like, you know, for like someone who's involved with like a freaking drug running gang, but he did what he could to stop what he saw about to happen. So there was like a level of like decency there. If it hadn't been him at my door and it had been someone else, who knows what would have happened to me. They take off and they leave. They're gone into the night in a flash. I was way too shaken to drive. Like I I went back into like silent mode. I couldn't believe what just happened. I couldn't believe what didn't happen. Everything was so surreal. The driver who whose face had been beat in had to drive. Obviously, we didn't go to the party. Um, yeah, that is my story. Jeez. I really thought I was going to die and or get gang raped. I didn't. I don't know how I walked away from that without a scratch. I'm so glad everything turned out okay for you, Amber. This next story, I'm always on the lookout for good stories and take every opportunity I can to record and capture them. We just had a Kansas City meetup for the Generation Y, and we had invited other podcasters to the meetup. One of those podcasters was Haley from Murder Road Trip Podcast. Her husband, Chez, had a freaky story for me. This is probably the most paranormal one you're going to hear tonight. Sorry for the audio quality. This was in an empty room next to the meetup. I call this one Mothman in Kansas. Uh, my name's Chez, and uh, probably about 13 years ago, me and some friends were coming back from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, going towards Topeka, and we're on an old highway. We were just cruising, you know? We were minding our own business, like listening to music. What time was it? Um, I would say it was probably around 12.30 or 1 o'clock. Okay, dark out. It was dark, completely dark. Like, this old highway didn't have street lights or anything. We're just cruising down the highway, and out of nowhere, you see this dark figure with a wingspan probably, I could be exaggerating, 13 feet and uh, just one big swoop and it just it shot straight over the vehicle. We saw two beady eyes, this kind of reddish, you know, like when lights hit, like yeah. a deer eyes kind of It reflects thing. off the retina. Yeah. 
And we saw that, and we're just all kind of quiet. Just, we're just, we kept writing, and then about 10 seconds later, we're like, did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> and we all freaked out because we've never seen anything like that. We're like wondering, we're like, what was that? Is, was that a, a giant owl? <laughs> was it a giant bat, you know? Um, it could have been anything. It may, maybe we were all just imagining this, but you know, it was... You weren't on any drugs. No. You were, you know, and I, I hate it when people say, oh, were you drunk? Because I'm like, <laughs> alcohol doesn't make you hallucinate, you know? Uh, but all of you saw it, and yeah. none of you responded immediately to it. No. It's like you're paralyzed and you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And that's what happened with Mothman. A lot of people say that they couldn't move, they couldn't do anything when they saw him. That's just the story, man. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess that would be our kind of little story of our Mothman, you know? It's very cool. And finally, last but definitely not least, I'm joined by Emily who told me one of the scariest stories I've ever heard, yet she didn't seem that scared during it. So it's sort of weird. I call this one Trapped Underneath. Hopefully this will leave everyone on a good note. I'm Emily. I'm from southwestern Pennsylvania. And I'm going to be talking about an accident that basically changed my life, kind of messed everything up in my life. I'm going to start at the night of the accident. It was a Sunday and at that time I was working a normal like eight to four job Monday to Friday. So Sunday night I was at the boyfriend's. I needed to be heading home. It was getting late. I was heading home. It was about a 20 minute drive from my boyfriend's house to my house. I take this way home all the time. I drive it every day. I still drive this highway every day. And I'm in Pennsylvania, so it's hilly and it's windy, and if you take your eyes off the road for a second, you don't know what's going to be in front of you, and that's the lesson I learned this night. I was coming around then, and I looked down to put my favorite CD in. It was kind of late. I wanted music. Keep me up. Mm -hmm. And when I looked back up onto the road, I saw the back end of a tractor trailer, by this time, I had no time to really swerve or do anything, so I had to hit the back end of this tractor trailer. How fast were you going? So I was going about 65 miles per hour. I was on cruise control. I had a 2015 Honda Civic. Oh. It was seven months old. Oh. I had only had it. It was brand new. Mm-hmm. What this happened, I think, a year and a half ago now, it was... January of 2016, brand new car, and it goes under the tractor trailer. I mean, a lot happened in just a few seconds. I realized there was a truck, and I hit the truck. Mm-hmm. I threw my arm in front of my face. I slammed on the brake. I braced myself. I actually remember looking to see if there were any cars around me because I was worried that someone else was going to hit the truck and me. But I was conscious throughout this whole thing. I also remember the crushing of the car. I remember hearing the glass break. I knew all of that. And my 
last thought before collision was I'm going to die. It's, it's kind of amazing how much you can take in in a split second, all the detail yeah. and have that realization of this isn't going to be good and I might not live. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was maybe a second that all of what I just talked about happened. And it still amazes me. I actually have chills right now just talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's incredible what the mind can take in in such little time. So I hit the back end of this tractor trailer. Was it parked on the side? Was it moving? What was it doing? It was moving. Mm -hmm. What, What was happening was there was a tractor trailer in front of him who was going really slow. And he didn't see it. So he was slowing down rapidly to avoid a collision with him. And while he was doing that, I was coming around the bend and I saw him and I hit him. I like to call it a series of unfortunate events that (laughs) happened that night. Yeah, it's a chain of events. And that's normally how a lot of accidents happen. It's not just a collision that's just out of the blue. It's somebody's responding to something else. Somebody swerves, somebody slows down. Yeah, there's always a chain of events. And that's exactly what happened. It wasn't, I wasn't just paying attention. It was, this guy wasn't paying attention to the truck in front of him. And the truck in front of him was going super slow. So it was just a chain reaction, like you said. I realized, first off, I'm I'm alive. Something I didn't really expect in that moment. And then I start moving my arm. Now, this is where it gets kind of really, really crazy. My arm's in front of my face. I move my arm but my nose is still touching the back end of the truck. Whoa. Yeah, that's how close I was to the back of this truck. If I turned my head, my nose would scrape the glass in front of me, and it was on the back end of the truck. I didn't realize it at the time, but I've realized now that's how close I was. What is it like the bumper or the, the kind of the metal back end is through your um, windshield? What my face was touching was actually the truck, the metal part at the bottom that was in front of my car. That's actually why they have those like metal crossbars at the bottom of the trucks is for cars not to go completely under. Apparently, they did their purpose that night. When I moved my arm, I felt the glass scraping against my arm. I felt the blood rushing down my arm. I knew that I had to be seriously injured people don't walk away from going under a tractor trailer at this point i started to panic i'm under a tractor trailer and it's still moving oh god it hasn't stopped yet tractor trailers can't just stop so he's dragging me i would find out later that he dragged me for 80 yards that's almost a football field yeah yeah (laughs) just about I finally feel the rumple strips on the side of the road, and I know he's pulling over, so I, get, I can calm down, yeah. and I do. I calm myself down because I'm like, I don't know my injuries. I don't know if something's really wrong with me. I could be bleeding out, and I don't know it. I was like, I have to remain calm. I can't freak out, even though this is a very freak out kind of moment. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also realized... I was pinned. I couldn't move. What had happened was the dash had folded onto my lap and had taken the steering wheel and pinned it on the inside of my upper thigh. And it was pinning me against 
the middle console and the steering wheel. So, so that, I was also trapped. So I wasn't going anywhere anyway. Yeah. And I can't even imagine the claustrophobia of feeling yeah. pinned and not being able to move with literally metal jammed up against every part of your body at this point. Thankfully, in that moment, I guess it's kind of amazing that I was able to cope as well as I did because I just kept telling myself, you have to remain calm. You really don't have a choice at this point. You're stuck and someone's going to have to get you out and you panicking isn't going to do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. I basically was talking to myself this whole time, of course, in my head, not out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't but, have judged um, if you were talking out loud, so don't worry. Well, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, I was the only one in the car, so that would have been really weird. <laughs> Finally, the tractor trailer stops, and I can see under the truck, I can see people walking up, mm-hmm. and I think there were two guys. I see the tractor trailer guy walk up on my side of the car, and as soon as he turns the corner, he goes, oh my god. A very appropriate response. And he doesn't know that you're trying to keep calm. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this poor guy, he had the response I think I should have had. He was a mess that night. And later on, he would come up to me and apologize. And he was crying. And then he would call me the next day to make sure that I had gotten out of the hospital and that I was okay. Wow. Of all the people to hit. I felt really bad that I hit this guy because he was so nice and caring. Mm-hmm. It was also a kind of a blessing that I hit him and not some jerk. <laughs> yeah, that would have dragged you to Oklahoma <laughs> or something. Yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly the thoughts I was having. I was like, what if they don't know I'm back here? Yeah. I mean, it's a tractor trailer. What's a little car going to make on a tractor trailer? Yeah, it just felt like a little bump in the road to him, you know. Yeah, exactly. How do they get you, or what happens next? How do they get you out? So he calls 911. He doesn't know where we're at. He's a tractor-trailer guy. He goes across country. I end up having to tell him the road we're on, the mile marker we're at. We're a mile away from the exit that I was going to get off to go home. He gets off the phone. I want to call my dad. I ask him, I was like, hey, can you call my dad? I mean, I, I just need to let him know I'm okay. Because it's getting late. He's going to wonder where I'm at. He calls. My dad doesn't answer. He doesn't answer weird numbers. But eventually he does. And I'm talking to my dad. And I'm letting him know, hey, I was in an accident. I'm not going to be coming home tonight. I'm probably going to be going to the hospital. And he's like, where are you? I'm coming to get you. Where are you? Mm -hmm. Because he thinks it's a fender bender on the side of the road. (laughs) No. You know, I'm not I'm not telling him, oh, I'm under a tractor trailer right now and I'm pinned in my car. So how are you talking to him? Are you actually able to hold the phone up to your ear or? Yeah, I'm able to hold the phone up to my ear. My window obviously broke. I was talking to him like I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) I was just telling him what happened. I was okay. There was nothing to worry about. And the truck driver's Uh, looking at you in amazement. (laughs) He's actually telling the police, because the police had showed up at this time, or he wouldn't have gotten off with dispatch. State police are there, and he's telling them, she's alive. Come get her. (laughs) They don't believe him. The first responders didn't think they'd be walking up on a live person. I come from a small town. I've heard all the stories from my accident. That's how I actually got those pictures that I sent you. 
the first responders were taking pictures, obviously after I left, not while I was in the car, but after I left, they were taking pictures because they couldn't believe that I was alive. Eventually, a state cop comes up, and I think she had to be a newbie. I think they were going to torture the new person. The state officer looked in the window, and then she yelled back, she's on the phone with her father. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand, they were all like, what? (laughs) Not only are you alive, but you're functioning. You're not even unconscious. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, I'm completely awake and aware. (laughs) And she's like, tell your dad to stay there. We'll call him when you're at the hospital. Like, tell him to stay where he's at. So I say, okay, Dad, I'll I'll call you when I get to the hospital. I love you, and I'll see you later. And that makes and sense then, because they, you know, if he sees you, he's gonna freak out yeah. and try to approach the car. They got their emergency responders there. They, you know, it just be an, another yeah. variable for them to deal with. Exactly. I mean, and I completely understand, but it was part of my shock. I I guess I wasn't thinking like that i was thinking they need to get me out and i need to be calm yeah so they start kicking it into high gear now i'm alive they did not think i was going to be alive i remember everybody that helped me everybody who got me out i know all their names they were all great people but they would talk about me but not to me (laughs) you're like i'm right here (laughs) what they did was they cut the doors off my car and then they cut the roof off my car before they were able to actually look at me and see if anything was like severely wrong. The paramedics was like, well, she could be cutting off circulation to her leg. I was like, nope, that's no, I can feel my toes. They're like, really? I was like, yeah. And I moved my foot. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> this was a situation they had never been prepared for. There's actually a training now at the fire departments because of my accident. What does this training entail? It's, it's basically how to get a car out from under a tractor trailer. Oh, wow. Because at my accident, they were doing it on the fly. They tried multiple ways of getting me out. Of course, first they tried the no-brainer move her seat back, and my seat had broken. The only thing they could do was lay me back, so my face wasn't up against the back of the truck, which, that's great. <laughs> It's a progress. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, tiny steps. They were like, you know, you're doing good. You're doing good. I was like, hey, it's all uphill from here, right? <laughs> I was joking with them because what they had to do eventually was lift the truck off of my car to get me out. There was too much pressure from the truck being on top of my car pinning me in because they tried cutting the steering wheel. That didn't work. They kind of felt like they were out of options at that point you know those lincoln logs that you play with as a kid yeah they kind of used two by fours and made like a building under the truck and then pump the truck up with just the regular old pump that you use to change a tire oh weird yeah this raised the truck up thus taking yep. some of the pressure off of you they were able to pull me out at that time i probably shouldn't have moved but as soon as I felt it come off of my leg, the first thing I did was stretch. <laughs> I really hope there's nothing bad. <laughs> like, I don't have anything popping out or anything. <laughs> like because, a bone coming out the side. <laughs> because I just made it worse. Yeah. The firefighters, they pulled me out and put me on a, a stretcher. They put me in a neck brace. 
I'm going to tell you right now, that was the worst part of this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) I hated that neck brace. I actually have a scar from it because there was so much glass around me. I ended up with a scar from the neck brace. It like squeezed the glass into your flesh and cut you? Yeah. Yep. They wheel me into the ambulance and they start doing my vitals. This is where it gets kind of awkward because they also had to strip me, cutting my clothes off. In the middle of the highway. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not one to be naked around other people. Was it cold out? Uh, Yeah, it was (laughs) cold. The guy with the scissors, he's like, I'm going to start cutting your clothes off now. I need to check you out. I was like, oh, great. Exactly what I wanted to do tonight. (laughs) Be naked in front of a bunch of strangers. I was making these guys laugh all night. That's the one thing they keep saying about my accident is how funny I was. Hey, it's, if I'm going to be known for something. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous situation. You were in a yeah. car accident that should have killed you. And you're not only not dead, but you're cracking jokes. <laughs> so it's just... Exactly. Well, I figured I can't do anything else. I was going to be life flighted to the nearest trauma unit. That was it. I had no say in that. I couldn't get out of my car. Mm-hmm. So I might as well enjoy myself. Yeah. There's no rules or laws that say you can't crack jokes while the first responders are taking care of you. (laughs) Exactly. He's cutting my clothes and I'm kind of just like, really? Well, I had a large cut on my right breast from my seatbelt. He goes, oh, I'm going to have to cut your bra off. I'm like, all right, it doesn't fit anyway. Go ahead. (laughs) He laughs into his shoulder because he's like, should I laugh? Am I supposed to laugh? (laughs) And at this point, I'm just like, man. (laughs) So they're going to wheel me to the helicopter. Thankfully, all covered up. They did put a sheet over me. I feel like that's a necessary thing to mention. This is the part of the night where the tractor trailer driver walks up to me crying, apologizing to me. And I tell him. It's all right. Series of unfortunate events. It was going to happen. I'm okay. Which seems kind of weird. Me being the one giving other people comfort. But hey. (laughs) It's not even really that guy's fault or anything. But he feels horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Later I would talk to lawyers about my accident. I lost my job over this. I couldn't walk for four months. In the law's eyes. It was my fault. Even though the officers that did the report that night would say it was no one's fault, in the eyes of the law, it's my fault. Yeah. They always have to find somebody at fault for the insurance companies or for whatever, just to, yeah. Police were the only ones that were like, there was no fault. Mm -hmm. So I went to the hospital. I was cracking jokes with the nurses, and the nurses told me, you're the worst accident but the best patient. (laughs) I was like, hey, if I'm going to be the best at something tonight. (laughs) I didn't get to a hospital bed until 1 o'clock in the morning. I was admitted to the hospital at Mm 12.01. Because they had to do a bunch of tests. They had to do a bunch of scans. Basically making sure that nothing inside is going wrong. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, there was nothing. I walked away with no broken bones, no internal injuries, at least for the most part. I couldn't walk very well. It would turn out that I had bruised my bones in my left leg. And that was from when I braced and impact, I compressed my knee so bad that I have arthritis now in my left knee. I'm 
26 and I, my doctor looked at me and said, you have the knee of about a 50 year old and I probably need a knee replacement in about 20 years. So that was your major injury that you sustained? Yes, that was my major injury. And you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I figure one minute I'm thinking I'm about to die and I'm at home the next day mm-hmm. with a bum leg. I don't really think I can complain that much. Yeah. I think the thing that really got me was my PTSD and that showed really quick. I can remember the day after me, my dad and my brother were going out to dinner. My dad was driving. Mm-hmm. I was in the passenger seat and he took all back roads. He didn't want to go on the highway. He went to turn in to where the restaurant was and there's just a little curb on the side and I thought he was about to hit it. I screamed and curled up into a ball because I thought we were about to hit a curb. A minor, and, minor accident or he would have hopped the curb even if he had hit it. Yeah. And that sent me into a panic. And that would be the continuous theme. And even a year and a half later, I still, there are moments and it has to be pretty bad now, but throughout this past year, even the thought that I might back up into someone or someone might hit me, it'll send me into a panic. Yeah. Do you, feel this coming on or you obviously were in a pretty good mood and and happy that you'd survived with you know relatively no injuries but were you shaken like knowing that I don't want to be in a car again or is this something that just kind of popped out at you and you're like whoa why am I why am I freaking out that that the second part is exactly what it was like it was I was talking I was laughing with my dad and then all of a sudden, I screamed and curled up into a ball. And seconds later, I felt ridiculous. I was like, why did that just happen? <laughs> Nothing happened. He didn't hit the curb. And even if he did, like you said, he would have just topped it. It wouldn't have been a major accident. But just the idea sent this urge of the impact again just all of the feelings I had that night, I screamed and curled up into a ball and then pretended like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, because you now are embarrassed because you don't know why you did that and everyone's looking at you funny. I have a very understanding family and a very supportive boyfriend mm-hmm. who I, I feel it's necessary to mention. I had only met a month before my accident. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, he got a lot more than what he signed up for, but he's been amazing and very supportive and very understanding. I still have anxiety. I still get triggered a lot. Mm -hmm. I've also been in therapy for six months now, I believe, Um, and I've been taking medications to help with my PTSD The other crazy thing, and a lot of people think this is crazy as well, is I started driving two weeks after my accident. Good for you. I wasn't a big fan of it. Yeah. (laughs) But I live in a small town. What else am I supposed to do? Like, I have to get around somehow. But when I could, I would get rides from other people. For the most part, I needed to drive. It got to the point where I was terrified to get into my own car. Even the thought of going somewhere, the thought that, oh my God, tomorrow I have to go to the bank because I have bills I got to pay and I need to get money out. 
that terrified me. I ended up going to my doctor. He saw the pictures and he looked at me and said, you should be dead. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, are you sure you know that? Because I shouldn't be talking to you right now. And you're like, well, that's the good starting point for our visit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great starting point. But he diagnosed me with acute stress disorder. You can't get diagnosed with PTSD until six months of symptoms. Hmm. It was acute stress for the first six months. He did prescribe me medication that has really helped me. Not only was I having a lot of anxiety and triggering, but my mood was very different. I could cry like for no reason at all. My boyfriend will tell you that if I don't take my meds for like three days in a row, he can tell. Really? Yeah. And it's true. My mood really does change. Do you mind sharing what they prescribed you? I think it's a knockoff of Zoloft. Okay. It's a rather low dosage. Thankfully, it works for me. Yeah. thing I love about my doctor is because he knows me so well, when I go in and I tell him what's wrong with me, he has no problem going, okay, because about a few months later, my meds were working, but they weren't working as well as I was hoping they would. Mm -hmm. So when I told him I was still having some symptoms, but the medicine was working, yeah, he's like, okay, start taking a pill and a half instead. Mm -hmm. And that's what really has been my dosage since and really helps me stay rather grounded. Yeah. I still get triggered. Thankfully, I don't have flashbacks as bad as I used to. You're able to tell the story very well. and Yes. Yes. I was going to say, I, I've been practicing with my therapist. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I couldn't because... tell. You, you, you told it very casually, like nothing. So you're doing very well <laughs> if, if that took <laughs> well, you. Well, thank you. Know, you. Yeah. A few months ago, I would have been in tears. This is progress. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that you lost your job and a lot of your life kind of fell apart. What? Yes. What was up with that? And and did insurance not help you? Like just, I guess I'm kind of curious about those details. I have a very, oh, I had a very physical job. I was working with adults with intellectual disabilities. So I might be lifting them to change them. I'll be running around all day. At that time, I couldn't do that job. I couldn't stand up on my own. I was expecting to be better, <laughs> like pronto. Mm -hmm. That's another life lesson I have learned is that things take time and they don't always happen in your time frame. You're feeling good, but you're, you're not really understanding the extent of some of your injuries. Yeah, exactly. Life doesn't stop. Your bills don't stop. You, you have to get back on your feet. So you have that pressure of get everything fixed so I can get back to my life, right? Exactly. I've had a rough time finding a job that doesn't strain me emotionally. Mm -hmm. I had to rely on my dad and my boyfriend for those four months that I couldn't work, that I could barely walk. Yeah. You were asking about my insurance. I don't know if you've ever been life flighted, but no. those the bill for that was $16,000. What did the insurance cover? My car insurance covered about 9000 of that. Uh -huh. uh, my dad didn't have like a large 
insurance on me because who expects this to happen? Yeah. And my life insurance at the time wasn't very good because I was paying for it. I was a low risk. There's still a bill for about $5,500 that's going unpaid because they're fighting with my insurance company. Mm-hmm. Did you ever come up with the overall total of everything? Did you ever come up with that number? Uh, I think I did. When you think about it, putting a dollar amount yeah. on what happened to me, <laughs> like there is no dollar amount mm-hmm. that could touch upon what I what I got to keep that night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I have a lot of extra bills. I have a new car that I don't really like, but you know, it's getting me where I need to go. And I, I lost a job that I really miss. But you know what? I'm not dead. No, no. <laughs> Count your blessings kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was actually just an accident the other day where a car ended up under a tractor trailer and the person died on impact. Yeah. I'm the million and one. Hell, I'm probably the trillion and one person who survived. I mean, our, our mortality is very thin. Yeah. I mean, there was the the one actor guy that was in his Jeep or whatever in his driveway and he got out to get the mail and it rolled back on him and killed him instantly or, or crushed him against like a, his post that he was pulling the mail out of. It's like, yeah. It's like, how did that happen? You know, but it does. Yeah. Accidents are crazy. I put mine right up there with some of the craziest ones. Yeah. What you explained is is uh, pretty incredible, and you know I expected way more injuries. I mean, your leg, yeah, that's that's pretty serious. But I was expecting glass in your eyes. I'm expecting lacerations all over your body, broken bones of some type. But the glass shattered into tiny little microfibers, mm-hmm. and that's what was cutting my arm. That's what was cutting my neck. The only reason I didn't get any in my eyes is, one, I wear glasses, mm-hmm. and two, I threw my arm in front of my face, and it covered my eyes for the most part. Yeah. I did get a lot of glass in my mouth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but when the tractor-trailer guy came up and saw my car, mm-hmm. I was trying to say help, yeah. and I couldn't say it because there was so much glass in my mouth. <sighs> so I ended up having to spit it out. And then I swallowed some. I had to try and say help three times before I was able to get it out. And then he was like, holy shit, she's alive. Yeah. It's a crazy story. <laughs> it is. And <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, really. Uh, but you were very, very good with your descriptions of the actual accident. And that's... Yeah. It's always crazy to me to hear about that because... I've never been in a horrible accident, but I've been in some regular accidents. I've been in some, I would call life-threatening situations where I've never had my life flash before my eyes, but my brain is taking in every single thing that's happening. I'm able to process more than I'm, you know, you you go to work and you're sitting there and you're just zoning out, but right before an accident, you know, um, so I, I, 
it's a hard thing to explain, but anyone that's been there, they know. <laughs> they they yep, understand. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I think it's funny you said your life la- like laugh life flashed before your eyes. I didn't have that moment. No. I had I'm going to die. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I'm glad you're here <laughs> to tell your story. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you everyone who shared their story tonight. I'm sorry if I didn't get back to you and you had a freaky story. Uh, there are many of you that have written to me. I am working on getting back to all of you. I don't like responding with short responses when you dump your heart and soul out to me in an email. I try to try to respond appropriately. I have all the episodes I'm going to be releasing for this year, so hopefully I'll start interviewing again in December or January. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed this episode.